All right, First Thessalonians chapter 1. We did verse 1 just last time. We will read it again at some point, but we'll be picking up our study with verse 2. Most of us know that the Christian life can be full of joy as well as full of pain. But one thing I think we rarely talk about is the insecurity that many of us face as followers of Jesus. Sometimes we question our faith. Sometimes we question our conversion. Are, are we the real deal? Are we are the real thing? Is, is our conversion real? And in that, it is important that we encourage one another. That's what the Apostle Paul does in much of this letter to the Thessalonians. He assures the members of the church there in Thessalonica of their faith, and he thanks God for it. In fact, this is what takes place in much of the first three chapters as the Apostle Paul, who is, and it's always important to remember this about the Bible writers, they are the spokesmen for God. And so here we have the Apostle Paul, the spokesman for God, is confirming the reality of their faith. Now, as you read this letter and you look at everything that's going on in this young church, you wouldn't really think that they need a lot of encouragement. Things are happening at this place, and, and they're, they're vibrant and committed church. Without a doubt, they had a passion for Jesus Christ. They pursued ministry with gospel expectancy. They, they would come into their gatherings, and they would expect God to move. Let me ask you, do you expect that when we gather together? Do you expect God to work? Do you expect God to... To, to move. Uh, they were not a group of people that were going through the motions. They were really all in, and their faith inspired many. But as we read the letter, it's clear to all of us that God was behind what was going on at this church. When God saves people, they come to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He transforms them. And when people are saved by God's grace, they're truly converted, should expect to see results. Now, sometimes you don't see it. We'll talk about that in a second. Sometimes you don't see it, and other people are pointing it out to you. They're like, you're a lot nicer than you used to be. Father, you the way they used to be. A lot more generous, willing to lend a hand or whatever. But when people come to faith in Christ, we do expect to see a change life. And as I just said, sometimes the converts are the last people to see the change. But what the Apostle Paul is going to do here is he's going to take the time to acknowledge it. That's a great thing we can do for each other. We see the change that's going on in people's lives. And even if it's steps or little things, just acknowledge those things with one another. Uh, the Apostle Paul reminds us, this is so important, that we have an assurance of the reality of our faith, of our salvation. Because you know what it's like when you're always living in doubt? It's difficult. It can paralyze you. So it's so important that we have this assurance. And he does this by reminding them of the work of God uh, in their midst as, as we press on in gospel ministry. A big discussion around our church recently has been 
Uh, Pastor Jim, has, have you noticed that there's not many seats available for the last service? And saying that God is working in our midst. Grace. Well, the last time we looked at the founding of the church in Thessalonica and violence and the false accusations that followed, and we tracked Acts chapter 17, how the Apostle Paul ended up in Corinth writing this letter to this baby church after Timothy had come back with a report. So we read verse 1, Paul, uh, Silvanus, that was Silas, we said, and Timothy, Timothy, that's his ministry team, the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to write in verse 2, we, so he includes Silas and Timothy, give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of, God, of our God and Father. So it's interesting. He opens up and he says that we give thanks to God for you always in our prayers. So let me ask you a question. Do you think that's all the Apostle Paul did? Do you think his entire day was sitting around giving thanks? And we know he's in, you know, he's in Corinth. He's got business he's doing there. Do you think his entire day was just thanking God for the Thessalonian church? No, he had a lot of other stuff to do. The idea is a regular, probably a daily habit. Maybe he had a prayer parchment. We have prayer lists, or, or uh, some people use index cards. I have different topics on index cards, and that just to remind me to pray for things. And, and so he had the daily habit of praying for the churches that their ministry team had started or, uh, or including the churches that came out of the churches that they started. And what I think is interesting here is he says, we pray for you all. They didn't just pray for their friends. They didn't just pray for their leaders. They prayed for the whole church, that the whole church would be a reflection of Christ, that the whole church would be working together in, in unity for the gospel. As we go through this letter, we will notice at times the Apostle Paul is praying, and he is very, he's very passionate in his prayers, and he's very focused in his prayers. He, he's not just sort of like, you know, hey, hey, bless them. He's going to be very specific about, about what he prays and thanks God for. So why is he so thankful? What's, what's so special about this church? Well, he tells us in verse 2, he says he's, he's, he's thankful for their faith, their love, and their patience of hope. Uh, another version says uh, faith, love, and endurance of hope. Now, these three, faith, hope, and love, that's the order we're used to talking them in uh, because we've been to enough wedding ceremonies to hear that. We'll talk about that in, a, in a, just a second. But, but they're often used to summarize the Christian life. And some might put it this way, uh, faith towards God, love towards others, and hope in the future. It's a good way of looking at life. And here the Apostle Paul reflects 
uh, uh, I would say one of the great joys of being a pastor, and it's something that goes beyond people just becoming followers of Jesus Christ, just coming to the point in time where they uh, put their trust in Christ instead of themselves, and they're seeking to walk with Christ. But, but one of the joys of being a pastor is when the people in the church start to understand what their salvation means. And as they understand that, they surrender their hearts to God. They basically say, well, here I am, God. I, I, I don't know what I can do or, 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 or what you've made me to be, but I'm just giving myself to you as you gave yourself to me. Now, that is a lot more rare than you think. It's not really typical of, of a lot of, of people. And, and it happens when, you're, when your mind begins to grasp all that God has done for you. And also as your mind begins to grasp uh, the way God has gifted you, the way God has, has made you, and if you begin to grasp God's will, and then you begin to slowly take those steps of faith and you begin to live those things out. And so what is the Apostle Paul doing? He's doing something we talk about here quite regularly. He is thanking God for the evidence of grace that he sees at work in the church. He sees God at work in the people in the church. He sees God at work in the, in the surrounding communities as they are being influenced by that church. And he is praying that the evidence of that grace would not just be there the way it is now, but it would be something that would continue to grow. It wouldn't be stagnant. It would be, it would be a constant growth. And, you know, one of the greatest things people can ever say to you is, you know, you still have the fire of God. You're, you're still pressing in. You're still, you're still pressing hard. And he was, he was thankful for that in them. Verse 3, he notes their, their, their work of faith. And um, I think the idea there is, and people might want to have different ideas about that, but I think the idea is, is that their faith in Jesus produced works. That their, their faith was not just like, well, it's just all about me and Jesus. This is clearly a church that knew that, that, that God had called them to gospel ministry that God had called them to, to not only be growing in their own faith walk, but helping one another to grow in their faith walk and helping others who don't yet know Christ uh, in their faith walk. So you say, well, what is this idea that their faith produced work? Well, Jesus taught the same thing. James taught the same thing. In other words, their ministry was a byproduct of their personal faith in Christ and the work of God's Holy Spirit brought to them through the Word of God, through the power of the Spirit. We'll talk about that in a moment. And it produced a faith that was alive. It wasn't a dead faith. And a lot of, I talk to people all the time, and I'm saying, you know, most churches that we, in our generation, we see there's, there's, there's dead and there's hype. And we don't want to be either. We, we want to be a, a church where where our faith is, is producing the work of God and the work of the ministry. Now, we saw in Ephesians, it was very clear, chapter 2, that good works do not save us. 
But most clearly, the, the Apostle James taught us that a working faith, a faith that is doing something as a response to what Christ has done for me, is indeed a testimony of salvation. In other words, people will see our faith through the things that we do and the ways that we live. It's, it's, it's often said this way, that we are not saved by works, but a saving faith does work. There are things that, that, that we do that show evidence of grace. We're not working to be saved. We're not working to maintain our salvation, but we are doing things in service to God that are byproducts and show the fact that our salvation is real. Now, when we talk about work in our culture, uh, people often judge us or put value on us by the work that we do. People want to uh, ask you what your, what your title is, what your title is. Uh, I, I miss being able to catch people off guard back in the early years of our church. People, I'd meet people and they would say to me, uh, oh, are you, the, you're the pastor over there at Calvary Chapel. I'd say, yes, they'd go, are you the senior pastor? And I would go, I'm the only pastor. <laughs> but I can't do that anymore. But that used to be fun to say that to people and kind of catch them off guard because like, you're like, don't be impressed. I'm still, I'm still telling them don't be impressed. But, uh, but that was easy for that. But God is not looking at, at the, the work we do per se. He's not looking at, in our, in our you know, jobs, he's not looking at the title. But God is looking out how we live in the midst of his work. Now you say, well, I just, you know, tomorrow morning I got to get up and I got to go to this place and I just do this job. And it seems like it's the same boring thing uh, all day long. But God is at work there. Don't, don't ever think that God is not at work in the midst of your work. And we always want to be looking at what is God doing in the midst of what we are doing. When we grasp that, our hearts are changed. They, they, they really are. And our, what happens is when our, when our hearts are changed as a church, remember these are letters written to churches, as our hearts are changed as individuals and as a church, our churches are transformed and, and, and the gospel becomes more appealing to people. As they think, wow, this is, this is neat. You know, I went to this place and, and the people were really loving and they were caring and there was a great diversity among the people. And, and, and I, you could really sense that Christ was in that, was in that place. But this is more than just being nice. This is kingdom work. It's service to God. It's service to others. And, and, it, and it takes the form, many different forms. It, it could be evangelism. It could be discipleship. One of the things that, that we work hard at at this church, and, and maybe you haven't noticed that. I hope you have. Or if you're involved in serving here, you, you understand this is we work hard at being hospitable. I mean, we want people to know that, that, that you come into our church. I realize you come in and you're like, it's a factory in Dover. And then, but you walk in the door, except this week when we're doing construction, the place is all to upside down. But, but, but you, you walk in and all of a sudden you forget. And you're almost in a different world. You're in a world where 
you're automatically loved and, and, and people seem glad to see you. And, you know, can I get you this or how can we take care of this? Or, or you don't listen, leave your kid with me. We'll watch them. We'll watch them like a hawk and we'll let you know if there's a problem. And those, those things are very, very important aspects of kingdom work. The next thing the SC is thankful for is the labor of love. Like, like, like the work of faith, it's action. It's not just talk. Jesus said, that's the way people will know that you are my disciples, by, by the love that you have for one another. But it's not just like, hey, love you, bro. You know, or, or you know, it, it's really actually helping people. You know, I always say that one of the things that, that really my soul just lights on fire is when I hear after the fact how some people in the church were helped by other people in the church. And, and you know, I, I remember my father saying to me when I was growing up, he would always say to me, you have no idea what it means to me to know that that you know, you can take care of yourself. And, and, and that when I he used to always call it the happy hunting grounds, <laughs> when I go to the happy hunting grounds, when he'd go to be with the Lord, that, that, that he wouldn't, you know, have to be concerned about me. And it, it's so wonderful as a pastor to, to see people doing the labor of love without asking my approval, without asking what I think, and, and, just, and just doing it. And, and the word labor here is an extremely interesting word. Um, you see, sometimes we think of labor as, you know, oh, I just did a job or something like that, or just a little helping hand or stuff like that. The word labor here actually refers to working to the point of weariness, working to the point of exhaustion. And, and that, is a, that is a spirit-empowered, Christ-like, self-sacrificial love in service to others. And here's the thing that's wonderful about it. You know that it, it's from God is if it, they don't thank you, they don't, they don't show any gratitude, there's no repayment of any source, any sort, and you're fine with it. You're fine with it. Because what happens is that kind of self-sacrificial love in service to others finds its source and motivation not in being acknowledged by people, but finds its source and motivation in the cross of Christ. I do this because he did it for me. And I might get spit on in the process. And even if I get spit on in the process, I know that my Lord was spit on as he served me on the cross. Now, this, this labor of love, this is agape love. This is the highest form of love. It is the, the human expression. He's talking about here the human expression of God's love for the world, loving God loving people through your life, through my life, uh, knowing that we love people, knowing that uh, some people need encouragement, some people need discipleship. Some people need to hear the good news. And so the Apostle Paul is acknowledging that their genuine faith and love produces kingdom service. 
Now, I don't want to make anybody feel guilty, but when we, we talk about stuff like this, it's very important to search our own souls and search our own hearts. And important to ask ourselves, without such service to God and to others, is our faith real? Is it real? Or, or is it sort of just like we're just kind of going, going, going through the motions? Thirdly, he says the, the patience of hope. This is an enduring hope. It, it, it could be that their patience and their endurance produced this hope. Well, you say, well, hope in what? And, and hope in the Bible, we often say, is a word of, of certainty, not the way we use the word hope. And it's hope in the promises of God. It's the certainty of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life for those who put their trust in Jesus. It is the certainty of the, the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is the certainty of being raised from the dead. Now, you say, okay, I know all that stuff, but here's what's really important to remember. It is the constant meditation upon those things that will energize your faith in tough times. In other words, as you and I meditate upon those things, there is something that happens within us where God's spirit begins to work inside of us to strengthen us. Remember in Ephesians, strengthened in the inner man, strengthened in the inner woman, and we are strengthened and energized in difficult times. We might call this uh, patient endurance and perseverance and a confidence in the Lord despite the circumstances. So things are going on. They're very difficult, very tough. Remember we said that when you, when you join the Lord's army, you're out there and your goal is to take the enemy out. And what does the enemy do? He fires back. He fires back. And so a lot of times you know, we, we think we're serving the Lord and we think we're making a difference in the kingdom of God and we feel like everything is against us, and we think, oh, I must be failing. That's what the enemy wants you to think. That's a propaganda war that's going on in your brain. No, the, the real thing is you are making a difference, and the enemy doesn't like that at all. The Thessalonian church was a gospel-centered church making a difference in their part of the world. Now, it's easier for a church not to engage in the battle. It would be a lot easier for us to just sort of, you know, do our thing, come in here every week, have our bagels and drink our coffee and, you know, do our own little thing. Um, but, but that is not kingdom growth. That is not the work that God calls any church to. And God calls us to the battle. And it's important to remember that it's a bloody battle. And hope is pressing on with confidence and certainty in the promises of God. To know that I'm, I'm going to keep at it because I'm going to trust and I'm going to believe wholeheartedly, even if it doesn't seem to be going that way right now, what God has said in his word. So there's three actions here. Work, labor, and patience. So we work. And, and we labor, we sweat, but we have patience. And these three things are often said to be uh, part of expressing three qualities of Christian character. 
And the order he uses here is faith, love, and hope. Now, uh, some of you say, why does he change the order? I've been to enough weddings and heard 1 Corinthians 13 read, and I know that the order is supposed to be uh, faith, hope, and love. Well, first off, he wrote 1 Thessalonians. Remember, he said this is his first or second letter. He wrote that before 1 Corinthians. So do you think somebody just came and said, it just flows better, you know, faith, hope, and love. Just do it that way, you know. Uh, is that alphabetical order? I don't even know. <laughs> so it, it, just, it just flows better. But, but, he, doesn't, but he doesn't do that. And, and, and why doesn't he do that? I think it has to do, honestly, not that he just reverses words. You know, the, the, every word that this guy writes is just pregnant. And, and, and so I think it has a lot to do with the context of Thessalonica. And I think it also has a lot to do with the context of which we now find ourselves in the church in the United States and America. The Corinthian church, what was the problem? Faith, hope, and love. What was the problem? What were they lacking? They were lacking love. They were lacking love. They were, they were rushing ahead of each other at the communion table, people coming in drunk, all kinds of immorality in the church. They were not loving others in the church. You know, you and I, we love people in the church the way we live. The way you and I live matters to everybody else. You, you don't want to be a, a church. We don't want to be a church that's known all those people, man. man that, I mean, it's like they're getting drunk all the time and they're partying church and, and stuff like that. We don't, we don't want to be known as that. They lacked love. And people are constantly taking digs at the church in America saying that we're lacking love. And that could be true. But he says to the Thessalonians that it's important that you have faith, love, and hope. Remember, after the Apostle Paul left, there was all kinds of trouble. They ran him out of town. Well, that trouble didn't end. So we know that they loved one another. But what, what, when things are tough, what are you often in danger of losing? Hope. Hope. That's why if you meet with somebody and, and all of a sudden you're like, man, I, I, I feel like they're talking to me like I'm a counselor. Let me give you a bit of advice from someone who meets with people. One of the first things you want to do is establish hope. If you can establish hope in talking with people, you would be amazed how things are going to fall into place much more quickly than if you cannot establish hope. And I wonder if that was the case of the Thessalonian church. Under the pressures from the culture, under the pressures from outside, they were beginning to lose hope. And to be honest with you, as much as some people might say the church in America is unloving, I see a greater danger right now in us losing hope. In, in us thinking, you know what, we're doomed. Or it's not going to go well. And the statistics say right now, unless it changes uh, from about the year 2005, 2010 to 2050, half as many people, percentage-wise, in the United States will be going to church. Now, it could be God just thinning the herd which is not necessarily a bad thing. I often tell our young people, I think there'll be less of you, but I think you'll be a much stronger group, that, that, that you guys that hang in there. But it'd be very easy for us, everything that's going on around us, 
to begin to lose hope. Yet these are the traits of the Christian life that say a lot about how we should approach not only this life, um, but, but what he's going to talk about in this letter, the end times, whether it's the end times of all of earth as we know it, or our own end times. By this order, I think the Apostle Paul is urging them to press on, and it seems to me this right now is the battle that the true church is in, a battle for hope. Now, you say, okay, end times. You know, some of you are like, great, I can't wait to talk about this stuff. Others of you are saying, oh, here we're getting weird now. I thought my church was a good place, and now all of a sudden we're going to get we're going to get all kinds of weird conspiracy theory stuff. Well, technically, the end times are between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. So, so everybody who, since Jesus ascended into heaven, has been living in the end times, and and the and the Thessalonians were in what uh, we call today. I'm not so sure it's the best way of putting it but they were in a culture war. You say, why don't you think that's the the best way to put it? Well, yes, we do war, you know, against principalities. We talked about that in in Ephesians. But we're not fighters. We're Christians. We're lovers. We we love people. We we fight with, with love and the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. We're, we're not supposed to be known as cantankerous, nasty people, but we're supposed to, to, to love people. We talked a bit about that this past Sunday, that we don't have to agree with people to love them. We don't. We can love all different kinds of people. doesn't mean we approve of what they do. You know, it, it, it means that we love people. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul lists all these types of sins that will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And what does he say? And such were some of you. What does that mean that he led into the Corinthian church? All those kinds of sinners. They were all allowed in. They became followers of Christ. They had a new identity, and they weren't that anymore. Now, there will be a definitive last moment in time, and the Apostle Paul is urging them and us Until that day, if it comes upon us, or the day we just pass on into the next life, we will persevere until that day. Uh, One more thing, he says, faith, love, and hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of God, our God and Father. Uh, It is, this is here, the grace of perseverance. And the grace of perseverance, confidence in God, confidence in his word, persevering to the end that really stops the pity parties you 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 might not it might not stop them all but you certainly will have a lot less of them because what happens is when the grace of perseverance is active in your life it lights up our souls with the things of god we just become excited about the things of god it it helps us to press forward even in the midst of discouragement Notice I didn't say you should never be discouraged, but we can be discouraged. But when our souls are lit up with the things of God, we can press on in the midst of that. We can press on in the midst of a situation that might seem 
hopeless as we look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ, as we look forward to being one day being absent from this body as we know it, as the scripture says, and present with the Lord. Verse 4, he says, Knowing, beloved brethren, those would be Christians, men and women, your election by God, oh, there's that terminology again we came across in Ephesians uh, 4, verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. So what's he saying? The Holy Spirit empowers the word of God. So let's just say you're praying for the church on, on a Sunday morning or during the week or in a prayer service or something like that. I hope that you would pray for who's ever teaching the word of God that the Holy Spirit would empower the word of God. Because if the Holy Spirit doesn't empower the word of God, then you know what it is? It's the word Jim. <laughs> and who cares? I care less than you do, trust me. And, and so <laughs> I'm the guy driving in the car listening to myself on the radio going, oh gosh, those poor people in our church, Lord, God help them, <laughs> right? And so we, ha we have to pray that those things, those, those words are empowered by, by God's spirit. And so he says, uh, so he says, for our gospel did not come to you, again, verse five, in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in, in much assurance, uh, some versions say conviction, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Now, we said this in Ephesians, we're not going to have a lot of time for it tonight, but many people want to debate the meaning of your election by God that he said here in verse 4. So for tonight, let's just keep it very simple. Very simple. We talked about in Ephesians that, that we are chosen by God. Remember we said, do we choose God or does God choose us? Exactly. Okay? So, so let's just put it this way, and I hope this lights your soul on fire. God loved you if you're a Christian. If you're not, we're glad you're here. This, this could be your night. This could be your night. God loved you, and he chose you. It's that simple. It's that simple. One day, I saw this beautiful girl. I thought she was 17 and I was 28. And then I found out she was 23 or 24. And I made my move. <laughs> and she's been my wife for 29 years. <laughs> right? Uh, and I came to know her. Right? And I came to love her. And I begged her to choose me as her husband. Right? But, but that's what love is. And so God, if you're a Christian, come on, think about this. God loved you and he chose you. Don't overthink it. Don't be like, well, I don't know why. You're overthinking it. You're overthinking it. Don't overthink it. Bask in the glory of it. He loved you and he chose you. And here the Apostle Paul is not, listen, people debate this stuff. They've been debating it for 2,000 years. That is not his point at all. He's not like, I'm going to write this so people debate this for the next 2,000 years. No, he, he does not want us to debate this. He wants to encourage them. He is simply saying to them, I look at you 
And I clearly know that you are part of the family of God. Not perfect people. Not at all. But he looks at them. He sees evidence of grace. And and I don't know everyone in this room super well. But as I look around, I would have to say that there's only one or two of you I don't see the evidence of grace in. Would you like me to know to point how who you are? <laughs> okay. No, I see evidence of grace in all of you. In all of you. And that is something that, that he's just he's not trying to, to to try and twist their heads on some doctrine. He's trying to tell them, listen, you might not feel like you belong to God, but to me it's clear as day that you do. It's clear as day that you do. And but notice. It's not because of verse 2 and 3. It's not because of their faith, love, and hope. He says in verse 4, your election by God. It's a work of God. So you're like, well, well, I don't feel like my faith, my love, and hope are up to snuff. He would say, of course it's not. Nobody's is. You were were chosen by, by God. Now, how much human choice is involved. We say this all the time. You have to believe. You have to believe. If someone goes says to you, well, I know that I'm saved. I just don't believe in God. You're like, that's ridiculous. That, that just doesn't compute. It doesn't work. John 6, 28 and 29, they said to him, to Jesus, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So, so God requires that you believe that you trust in Christ as a response to what he has done for you. Now, people, some people say, well, then believing is a work. It's not a work. It's a response. The work was done by who? It was done by Jesus. It wasn't done by you or me. Now, notice the apostle says here, it it, it just wasn't the words of the gospel. It just wasn't the words. It was it was the power of the Holy Spirit. And as and, and our our duty, really, our responsibility is just to sow the seeds. And you throw the seeds out and throw a lot of seed, guys, throw a lot. And it's the parable of the sower. He's just throwing it out. Seems some people would look and think he's wasting a lot of seed. Just throwing a lot of seed because you never know where it's going to take. And, and as, he, as he sowed the seed of the word and the, the spirit applied the word to certain people's hearts or certain people opened their eyes and their hearts to the word of the Lord, you can, you can talk about it however you want. The Apostle Paul himself saw the effects on the people. And, and so... As faithful servants of God, our responsibility is to deliver the good news that's been passed on to us and then pray that the Holy Spirit illuminates their heart. Pray that, that the Holy Spirit, you know, just just speaks to them and, and, and just opens up their hearts, opens up their eyes the good news is simply that God has made a way to heaven through Jesus Christ. Because as we learned in Ephesians, we're all dead in our sins. 
and through faith and trust in Christ, we are made alive. Other people want to reverse it and say we are made alive and then we have faith and trust in Christ. It matters, but it doesn't. Because it doesn't. Why do you say, why doesn't it matter? Because it's not our job. Our job is to what? Sow the seed. Sow the seed. Our job is to just tell people the, the good news. And the Thessalonians heard the good news of the gospel. The Holy Spirit opened their eyes. And by an act of saving faith, they embraced it. In other words, the Apostle Paul is not coming here teaching a philosophy of life. He's not coming teaching them six ways to be, to have a happier life. He's not coming to them saying, oh, this is how you have a work-life balance. That seems to be what the people in Asia and in the people in Athens were looking for. He didn't come teaching them some, some new, deep, philosophy of life. In fact, the Bible refers to those people as what? False teachers. False teachers. No, this was the, the power of the Holy Spirit that was, that was applied to the hearts of people through the preaching of God's word. Interesting, there's no miracles mentioned here. There could have been, but there's no miracles mentioned here except the greatest miracle of all somehow they believed and they came to spiritual life or if you want to reverse it that's fine they came to spiritual life and they believed but what was the apostle paul's role to share the good news and to pray that the spirit of god would energize that word and people would believe. Notice the Apostle Paul reminds them of something very important. He says, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. What's he saying? We went through all of that trouble, all of that inconvenience for you. You know, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I get so many thank you cards, letters, emails, texts from people all week long thanking me for, for what I do here at the church. But let me ask you a question. When you pull in on a, on a super, super cold Sunday morning, you thank those parking lot guys? When, when, you, when you come in and you see it's getting a little crowded in the church and the, and the ushers are having to have people jump over other people. Are you saying to the service, you know, that's not an easy job. Everybody wants the end seat. I get it. <laughs> that's not an easy job. Thank you very much. You know, I, are, are you saying to the greeters, thank you for your warm smile as I open the door in minus two degrees and, 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 and yet you have a warm smile welcoming me in and I'm standing by that door. Or, or the people helping out in the hospitality. Thank you. Listen, I, I came in and, and there's the coffee all ready for me and and all the stuff that's put out already, are you, are you thanking them? The, the, the children's teachers, the people you, seen, you see taking care of the church, cleaning up the church. You come here different days of the week. There's volunteers all over the place helping them. Listen, maybe, maybe do me a favor. Save some of your thanks for me and, and dish it out to them. Dish it out to them. Because you know why? 
They're doing it for the Lord, but they're also doing it for you. They're also doing it for you. And if I forgot any ministries, then you remember for me, right? And, and, and there's other people that are just doing tons of stuff that you don't see, that, that you don't see. They did it for God. They did it for you. And the Apostles Paul saying, we did it for you, and you could see that in the way we lived. We, we, were, we weren't in it for ourselves. We were in it for you. Now, we would never talk like that. But maybe sometimes we need to. You know, maybe maybe sometimes I'll just talk to the men for a second because we're dudes. And sometimes we just need to say to each other, we're men of God. We don't behave that way. We don't think that way. We don't talk that way. We don't act that way. And we're kingdom men. And we serve. We serve a king. We're, we're, we're in the army. And and, 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 and to say, listen, you say, well, I don't know what to do. Well, just come along with me. Just come along with me. May not be what you end up, you know, be finding your comfort zone, but, but just, just, just come along with me and we'll, we'll serve together. And, and so, as we'll see, there were accusations to the contrary as we go further in the letter against the Apostle Paul. So he's not only saying, you know, follow my example, to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But he also defends himself for the sake of the word of God. I mean, the worst thing to have is when somebody preaches and they're like, oh, that guy, he's a bum. You know, I've, I've heard many people say, yeah, I, I went to that church for, for two years and then I met the pastor. <laughs> and, you know, he's just, boy, he's obnoxious. And, and so, um, see, I just let you meet my obnoxiousness from day one. And so... But 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 we don't want to we don't want to be that. But there was a, a, a you know accusations, and and so he's 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 saying he's defending himself for the sake of the gospel. Why is that important? Notice what he says. He says our gospel came to you. That's really important. Notice he didn't say we came to you. He didn't say that. He said our gospel came to you. What was important? That we that that the gospel came to you. We were just the vehicles. We were just the we were just the truck that really, if you will, that delivered the gospel. And so these guys were just Holy Spirit empowered missionaries with the assurance and the conviction of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, for all leaders and aspiring leaders, it's important to see the connection between the quality of leadership and the quality of one's ministry. For, for fruitful, deep, long-lasting ministry, not quantity, but a ministry that, 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 that heaven sees as being something, it's important that leaders are bearing fruit in their own lives. It's important that leaders are living holy lives. Um, and before we move on here, there's something I think that's really important to note since this is the apostles' first or second letter that we have recorded in the Word of God, is this is an early reference to conversion. The Apostle Paul is concerned since he left town so quickly, and we talked about that last time, that they understood what had actually happened to them. I don't know if any of you, that was your conversion experience. It certainly was for me. I was like, what in the world happened to me? <laughs> like, 
I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know which end was up. And, and just a point of confession, I tried almost for the first two years to get his hand, my handle on as much material as I could read to try and disprove what had happened to me. And the more I read, the more I was convinced that, that this was real. And so he's, he's, he's talking to them, and, and he's simply saying to them, listen, we came to town, we preached the good news, and people were converted. And their election by God, their being chosen by God, was proved by their conversion. He, he wants them to know that his teaching and their conversion was a work of the Holy Spirit. And in a way, I think he might also be saying to them, you'll be okay without me. You'll be okay without me. Keep your face in the book. Stay humble before God. Continue to pray. Continue to walk with Jesus. And your church, your Thessalonian church, will be fine without me. It's important to see that that your faith is is an experience of God's love and election. Therefore, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should hold your conversion very close to your heart. You should hold your conversion, even if you don't know the exact moment, you should hold it very near and dear to your heart. Why? Because like the Thessalonians, you will need it in tough times to be faithful and to maintain your joy in the Lord. I'm one of those people, I know the moment. And I knew that moment was a special moment. And I just took it out and I wrote the date and the time and praised the Lord on the back of an old business card. And I carried it in my wallet for 28 years. And three years ago, I got sick. And I moved it from my wallet right next to my Bible so I could see it every day to remind me of what God has done in my life. When I just feel so sick some days and so awful some days. And it helps me keep my conversion so close to my heart, so near to me. And I can't tell you that little card would mean nothing to anybody else. But if I die tomorrow, tell Pam to bury me with that card because it is so empowering. It is so energizing to me for me to remember that God elected me, that God chose me, that God will never forget me. And we should all feel that way about our salvation. It's also a reminder to us that we must rely on the Holy Spirit to open the eyes and hearts of people as we share the good news with them. I don't know about you, but I didn't figure it out. I didn't figure it out. 
the knowledge of God came to me from the outside. It came from the outside into me. I wasn't like, oh, yes, that makes sense. Of course I'll give my life to Jesus. It wasn't that at all. Verse 6 to 10 um, reminds them of the importance of faithfulness in the midst of suffering. And um, that, is a, that is a witness to the world. And it's also a, a witness to yourself. Verse 6, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word as opposed to those who reject the word in much affliction. They received the word of God, even though there was, it was tough on the outside. There was pressure on the outside. Look at this with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Listen, it's easy for us to become bitter. And if we're not careful, we, be, we can become bitter towards God. It's easy for us to become depressed or weak in our faith when things are really, really tough. I mean, look at what many of us face. Illnesses, employment, business issues, financial problems, family issues, divorce, death. I mean, the, the list could go on and on. It seems like the trouble is just relentless at times. But know this, loved ones, that the Lord has a plan even in the midst of suffering for followers of Jesus and even for churches. And included in that plan, as bizarre as this may sound, is the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is a heaven-sent joy to help us rise above the circumstances, yet, even though it's sent by God, in the midst of that being sent, that, that joy being sent by the Holy Spirit, we have a responsibility too. I'm going to take a moment and talk about something very, very critical to the Christian life. Very, very critical to yours and mine maturity in the Christian life and our growth in the Christian life to maintain a spirit of joy, to maintain the, the edge, if you will, to maintain, uh, you know, to still be on fire for God. And, and, and it is our responsibility requires us to have an interaction with the Word of God and a continual reminder of our faith in the risen Christ. This is a very important concept. All true Christians have the Holy Spirit, but he comes to reside in us. Jesus said in Galatians, remember, that he will send the Spirit of Christ to live inside of you. However, we must interact with him. See, we all have him. That's God's responsibility to send him to indwell us. But it's our responsibility to interact with the Spirit of God. And we interact with him in our times in the Word, in our times in in prayer, in our times in worship, in our times in, in fellowship with the people of God and, and several other spiritual disciplines. This is, this is actually how, how many of us became followers of Jesus Christ because he says here, you became followers of us and of the Lord. Now, the word followers is very interesting. He, here it really means you saw that you were that you became mimics of us. You saw us, if you will, um, 
reflecting the grace of God, the joy of the Lord in our pain and in our suffering. How was that happening? Because we were constantly interacting with the Spirit of God through the Word of God, and He was imparting the joy of the Lord to our souls. And so even in the midst of great difficulty and pressure, we were able to withstand it, and we were able to be faithful. Now, here's the thing that you cannot, you cannot succumb to this temptation. You might think, okay, when the bad times come, I'm doing pretty good right now. That's when I will interact with the Lord. Not good. Not good. Make him your natural default in good times as well as bad, because when times are good, you won't get sloppy. And when times are bad, you won't know where to start. You'll be like, I don't know where to start. And so this is very important to keep that. All this is important to the Thessalonians because of the persecution that they are under. But now they are becoming models for people for following Jesus Christ. Now, most of us don't want to suffer. But as we yield to this Holy Spirit in such time, the Holy Spirit invades our hearts with his joy. He strengthens us and he empowers us. So here we see some of the uh, Apostle Paul's earliest understandings of the Holy Spirit. That, that salvation, he knows that salvation is only possible because of the work of Jesus Christ. Yet, it is the Holy Spirit who brings people to Jesus Christ and the actualization of our salvation is from the Holy Spirit as, an experience, as we experience the Father's love. So what we kind of have here is some very, very early Trinitarian teaching. We might simplify it this way. Salvation was initiated by the Father's love, purchased by Jesus at the cross, and if Affected upon us by the Holy Spirit. So also, it's the Holy Spirit's power to help us stand firm. It's his comfort and his joy that enables us to stand firm in the midst of trials until the trial is over, until we are at home with the Lord, or until his return. Verse 7 so that you, and now he's, he's telling us it's really important that you connect the dots in all this, so that you become examples to all of Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. From this one congregation, the word is now being able to spread out in their area and even nationally. This, this, this church is on fire. They, they got a lot of things they still got to sort out. We're going to come across that stuff. But he's saying that the, that the word of the Lord sounded forth. That word literally means sounded forth. It trumpeted. Like the trumpets were blowing in Thessalonica 
and there was nothing the authorities could do about it. The, the word of the Lord was just sounded forth, not only in Macedonia, their reason, region, and Achaia nationally in Greece, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. He's, he's saying, listen, I don't, I don't need to go out and tell people about what God is doing in Thessalonica because people are telling me. It's like when I, when I was in the dentist chair and the person realized I was a Christian, they go, have you heard that new radio station, 107.9 FM? See, they, they, they did they didn't need to, they didn't need, the Apostle Paul didn't need to tell people what was going on in Thessalonica because it was, they were so well known what was going on. Now it's interesting, the word example, he says you became, so that you became examples, is also, can also be translated the word mold. Now not like mold you have in your basement and some guy comes along and wants to rip you off on what mold treatment costs. No, no, please don't take offense to me. Uh, if you're a mold treatment person, but but it, it's the idea of you were in the mold of Christ, which is the goal of discipleship, Christ-like imitation. As all the people of God become more Christ-like, we are to live in a way that influences others for the kingdom. This goes under the heading, and we use this all the time in the ministry. We say more is more caught than taught. That, you, that as you watch it in, in motion, that's how you really learn. So if you really want to learn how to you know, be in the ministry, go along with people that you see the fruit of ministry in their life, and then you will see what it is that, that, that they're doing, and it will be more caught than taught. And what, what, what was happening to this Thessalonian church? They had become contagious. Their faith, their hope, their love. They had become contagious. And when you become contagious, you become reproducing. Why? Because they knew that their faith was real. They knew that the Lord was coming back. And if we know that the Lord is coming back, there's a lot of people that just want to go into a foxhole and wait for the Lord to return. You know, I, I, I know a guy, and, and every time I see him, he says to me, he doesn't go to this church, he says, so do you think the Lord's returning today? And I always say to him, well, if he is, I better get to it. <laughs> right? They asked Martin Luther, what would you do if you, if you, if you knew the Lord was returning today? He'd go to, I'd go home and do the same thing I do every day. Why? Because he was ready. Because he was ready. And so we know the Lord's returning. It's time to stop standing around and get busy for the kingdom of God. It blessed the Apostle Paul uh, to know that not only were they being faithful, but they were also partners in the gospel. They were not just living the life. They were actually trying to transfer that life to other people. That's, a, that's really a word for today. It really is because because a lot of people in, in churches right now are spectators and, and, and consumers. And, and, you know, I'm so thankful for the, uh, when I tell people the enormous amount of volunteers we have in our church, they're like, you got to be kidding me. They're like, like, what are you constantly running campaigns for that? I'm like, we almost never mention it. And to be honest, Whenever we do, almost nobody ever volunteers. 
It's just a situation where people see other people serving. You know, somebody in our church said to me, uh, and if you're listening, I love your girl. She said to me, she has children ministry experience. She said, it was so nice to walk into our children's ministry in our church and seeing people who actually look like they wanted to be there. Instead of where I was before, where people were like, well, you know, everybody's got to help out because, you know, I got a kid, so, you know, I got I to gotta do my time in prison in the children's ministry. Man, if it's prison, quit. Serious. That is the greatest thing you could ever do. So we don't want to be spectators. We don't want to be consumers. So, so not only were people coming to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and by the way, it's happening without the Apostle Paul. He is not there. He planted the church. He lit the fire, and they, it's, just, it's just spreading. It's just spreading. And not only were people coming to faith and trust in Jesus Christ without him, what was that doing that was freeing up him for his calling? And I'm so grateful for so many of the people around the church that do so much stuff that allows me to be freed up for the calling. The last thing I want to do is get up here unprepared. And those of you who know me, you know I can talk for 60 minutes without without preparing much. I just can. I know I can. I've done it not here, but I've done it in plenty of other places doing other things, not in preaching the word of God. So I'm so thankful for that. Verse 9, for they themselves, the people telling the people, uh, the Apostle Paul about the Thessalonians, declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, as we talked about in Acts 17, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. It's a great definition of repentance right there. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What does that show us when he serves idols? It shows that most of the converts were Gentiles. Most of the converts were people who didn't know, wouldn't have known Jesus if he walked in the front door. Sometimes we hear, I hear people say, ah, oh, my neighbor, he knows nothing about God. Oh, what an opportunity. People come here to the church and they go, I go, so tell me, were you raised with any kind of faith? They go, no. I go, oh, good for you. You don't have all the bad stuff you have to undo. You, know, you, you, you don't know how what a blessing that is. It really is. And he says, verse 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So they turned to God. They repented, which means they changed their mind about God, and they turned to him for the forgiveness of sins and an eternal life, resulting in salvation and in life change. They turn from idols. What, what are idols? We think of just statues, but it, it's any attitude, belief, desire, goal that owns your heart more than God does. And his language here is, I find very interesting. He doesn't say you turn from idols to God. He, tur- he says you turned to God from idols. That turn to God, repentance, is so important. And, and what happened was the Lord captured their heart. And they weren't like, oh, these idols are lame. I might as well see, give God a chance. No, God captured their heart so they turned to him. Once again, 
the simplicity is amazing. And I don't want us to miss this. So I want to run through it again. A few guys come into town. They preach the undiluted, uncompromising gospel of, of repent and believe. And people turn to God and put their trust in Jesus Christ. A church pops up, and the people in the church serve God, do the work of the ministry, and the good news starts to spread throughout the community. And verse 10 says, they wait for Jesus' return. But you say, wait a minute. You said the the good news is spreading. What do you mean? It doesn't sound like they're waiting. Remember, waiting is what we do while we are waiting for the Lord to move. Serving the Lord is simply living in light of his return, the actual physical return of the risen king. Followers of Jesus are to wait for Jesus Christ to return with great expectation. And here we see one of those reasons where it says, he delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, this is a statement that has been debated for centuries. Uh, some say that it's uh, that he is delivering us from the eternal punishment for our sins. Others are saying that he is delivering us from the period when the wrath of God will be poured out on the earth for the rejection of God's Son, known as the Great Tribulation. In the context of chapter 1, not later on, It seems to me what he's talking about here, not later on, is the eternal punishment for our sins. Now, the Apostle Paul is not creating a conspiracy theory. He is creating hope for the people of God to be looking up in anticipation, but being about the Lord's work. Why? Why is he doing that? I think from the outset, we hang in there. And we persevere, yes, but also we, like the Thessalonians, stay on the front lines. Too many people in America, not I would not say our church, but too many people in the church in America expect that to be the work of the pastors only. That is a lie from the pit of hell, and that is contrary to the word of God. The Thessalonian church had the Apostle Paul. Can you believe that? They had him. They had him. And he left. And what did they do? They rolled up their sleeves. They went out. And they called others to flee the wrath. They called others to repent and believe. They called others to turn to God and put their trust in Jesus Christ. May that be us too. Well, let's stand and pray.